This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. The Blitz 1170 stream is brought to you by Duck Creek Casino, your hometown casino. All right, welcome back in here on the Blitz 1170. Hope that you've had a good Thursday so far. Uh, we are hanging out today at uh, Birdie Bay. What is Birdie Bay, you might ask? Well, Birdie Bay is heaven if you're a golfer, and that can include guys like us or if you take your game seriously. It is the new joint here in town at 71st Street and Highway 169, right off of the highway here at 169. It's in the parking lot that has Lowe's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the old Maytag building, right, if you need, like, an exact location to what it is. And this has the most interactive bays that you can come in and play golf in, uh, a level of technology that blows me away every time I go over there to take a few hack swings in between commercial breaks. Dion, this place is badass. Uh, you can play every course that the pros play on here if you are playing by yourself and you're good you can fit in a 18 hole round in about an hour yeah like if you really get after it uh full bar that's here uh tvs that have the masters on and we're sitting here watching a round now at saint andrews i can't remember what course that we were playing on which one did you pick i think pebble beach oh pebble no wonder yeah no wonder we stink (laughs) with uh with pebble beach um so as you can see any of the major courses they have it come by here if you take your game seriously, you can go and watch a video diagram, a breakdown of your swing. You can overlay it with your uh, swings before to make sure that your hands are in the right position and, and really diagnose what your swing is. They have lessons that are here. Uh, this place is going to be a major, major player in just the entertainment and the refining of your golf game specter here in the city of Tulsa. I think there all, there's also an app that goes with there is. The, yes. everything that's on, on the system. And so I, I believe if it, there is an app, you can review things even better before and after when you when you leave here even better you can bring your own clubs in or you can use the clubs that they have here on location it's their grand opening and i'm bearing the lead here free golf free baby free golf today and tomorrow to celebrate the grand opening at birdie bay where it is always golf weather all right at two o'clock matt is our guest ready yes yes he is all right let's welcome in joe masato from the oklahoman who covers the oklahoma city thunder here on this thursday joe what's going on man how are you today not much guys uh doing well here in salt lake city for a for a big thunder jazz game tonight it is massive and that's where i want to go i heard and saw uh, i think it was on your twitter feed of some of the guys talking about uh tonight's importance and and uh, where it kind of ranks in the hierarchy of the most important Thunder games of the entire season. No bigger game than tonight with the Mavericks kind of nipping right there at the Thunder's heels right now. Uh, Tonight's a big one for any type of postseason or play-in hopes. Yeah, we just talked to Isaiah Isaiah Joe after shoot-around this morning in Salt Lake, and basically, uh, you know, everyone knows the score at this point. Everyone knows what's at stake um, the, the Thunder certainly knows um, you know, what they're playing for tonight uh, against a Jazz team that has given people fits, but at the same time um, missing most of its key players. Laurie Markin ends out, Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Walker Kessler. So 
if the Thunder plays well, it, it, it should be a win that you can mark down. Um, but you can't ever take anything for granted. The Thunder really needs this win tonight, especially after the Mavericks um, had a really impressive win against the Sacramento Kings last night, which basically, um, if you look at any site and, and come up with the odds of who's going to get the 10 seed, the Mavericks or the Thunder, basically a coin flip at this point. With that said, um, maybe it's too early to ask this, but did did they, did they have like an air of confidence about them heading in tonight? Um, is it something we're just going to have to wait and see whether or not they feel like the pressure is going to get to them, maybe knowing the importance of this? And it's been a while, right, since we could talk about this with a Thunder team that they have a game of this importance with something to play uh, play for looking forward to in their future. But how, how were they today um, at, at shoot-around before the game? Yeah, they said that, you know, it was very businesslike at, at shoot-around and at their recent practices and, after that, you know, really rough stretch they had against bad teams in the East, losing at Indiana, losing at home to Charlotte, um, and barely beating Detroit, um, those were those were obviously disappointing. And then they come back, lose a home game against the Suns, um, lose on the road at Golden State, but played much, much better in those two losses. I think what they're telling themselves is, okay, if we play like we did, you know, the other night in Golden State or against the Suns, Um, these last two should be wins because not to look too far forward, but on Sunday, the Thunder closes its season with a home game against the Grizzlies. And by that point, the Grizzlies are likely going to have the number two seed uh, sewn up and and might not be playing most of their key guys. So you're looking at two games that, that look very winnable and it's simple. I mean, the Thunder controls its own destiny. The Mavericks do not. Um, The Thunder, because it owns the tiebreaker, they go two and zero. They're uh, they're in the play-in um, with the number ten seed at likely Minnesota or New Orleans. Last night's game was not without a little bit of uh, controversy, right? Tell me why Mark was so upset uh, last night. He equated it to uh, an umpire last night. I'll let you kind of tell the story, but set the scene for everyone on what went down last night in that Warriors game. Yeah, he said uh, it was like an umpire walking a batter on uh, on three pitches. So. Um, basically, <laughs> midway through the fourth quarter, uh, uh, you might remember the play. Shea Gilgis-Alexander throws the ball out of bounds, dead ball turnover. Um, the Warriors are inbounding, getting ready to, to inbound the ball, but Jalen Williams um, from Santa Clara is at the scorer's table. And Draymond, a lot of players do this. Um, they're, uh, it, it's kind of a savvy move. It's like they tell the refs, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, basically – pressuring the ref to give them the ball so they can throw it in um, before the ref even notices that there's a guy at the scores table ready to check in. Um, and that's exactly what happened. And, you know, J-Dub's one of the Thunder's best defenders on that ensuing Warriors possession. They get an easy dunk. And then Mark Degnault calls timeout, um, goes absolutely berserk, loses his mind, um, gets called for the technical. Honestly, he probably would have been thrown out of the game had the refs not known that it was their mistake and there was a poor report after the game um you know explaining as much basically the the refs admitting um that there should have been a, a whistle there and and should have allowed Jalen Williams to check in and um I think what the Thunder is is seeing is you know they're a young team when they try to do stuff like that they don't always have a lot of pull with the refs um but when a guy like Chris Paul or Draymond Green does that um 
they get that stuff a little easier. So I, I think that's Degnault's primary beef. Yeah. And you know what? It doesn't – it's not like there's any consolation with the refs admitting that they made a mistake either. Yeah, you know, that, does, that doesn't really smooth things over <laughs> on, on that at all. So it just – it probably adds to the frustration. You tip their cap to them for admitting that there was a mistake, but it doesn't necessarily do you any good. Um, for, for, the, for the Thunder last night, it was kind of a – it was just a Jordan Poole moment there in the fourth quarter that kind of got away from them a little bit. Where have they struggled at, Joel, uh, here down the stretch over their last couple of games? What, what has been an element that they've got to get turned around, uh, for instance, tonight if they want to find themselves back in the win column? Well, against the Warriors, I, I think it, was, it all came down to, to defense there. In that fourth quarter, the Thunder was just shooting it crazy in the first half. Um, and then I think they went three for 18 from three in the second half. Meanwhile, um, the Warriors keep draining threes, and, you know, Jordan Poole almost outscored the Thunder by himself there in that fourth quarter. So just like the the defensive intensity um, for the full 48 minutes, and I think the biggest thing with this team is is to not lose focus because I, I think clearly they've played up and down to their level of competition, which is weird to say since they've been in kind of this opposite spot, but – Again, played really well against the Warriors and against the Suns and, and not so well against those teams in the East. And um, So I'm looking at how they come out tonight against the Jazz. They really need a big first quarter. Don't, don't worry about getting in any sort of a deficit early on against this team, which could get the crowd into it. Um, so, so that's the main thing I'm sort of looking for because these guys have played more games than they're used to. They've logged a lot more minutes than they ever have before. And they're in a spot that they haven't been in before. So kind of seeing how they respond is what I'm looking at. That kind of goes into my next question. You talked about the inconsistent play from this young team. And with these last two games, you said the ball's in their court. If they win these last two, they're getting into the playoffs and they're getting into the play-in tournament. So how is this team going to handle the pressure? I mean, you've seen them all year. How do they normally handle the pressure in these high-intense moments? Well, I, I think the the one thing in their corner is Shea Gilgis Alexander has been in these spots. His rookie year with the Clippers, um, he, he he played against the Warriors pretty big minutes in that first round playoff series. His second year, uh, first with the Thunder, he plays in the bubble um, in that playoff series against the Rockets. So he and Lou Dort are, are two guys that have been there um, before, and and we've seen Shea's propensity for hitting game winners and tough shots. So I don't think the moment's going to be too big for him. Now with the other guys, like it's too hard to tell because we simply, we simply don't know. I, I will say that, that this team for being the youngest in the NBA, sometimes I think it helps them because like they're, they're too young to know any better or to, to realize kind of the spot that they're in. Um, and that kind of relaxes them a bit. Um, but at the same time tonight, they know the pressure and, um, it's anyone's guess as to how they're going to respond to it. Is SGA enough? I I think so. I mean, if Jay plays, I mean, even the other night, he's, you know, he's been the best scorer um, for the second half of the season. Um, and I think he's kind of the, the leader you need in there. Uh, one other element that I wanted to ask you about, uh, just overall, you know, it's it's funny how different franchises view kind of the position like Oklahoma City finds themselves in right now. I mean, there were the reports earlier um, 
that the Mavs were thinking about, you know, maybe shutting down Kyrie and shutting down Luka. I mean, it's – I know they got to win the other night, but I'm not quite convinced about how much that Dallas actually wants to make it into the play-in, and maybe we'll find out more on that. But I guess the simple question here, Joel, is what, what would – qualification into the play-in scenario mean to Oklahoma City and mean to the franchise? Well, I think to the players and the staff, I mean, a blanket statement, to player, staff, front office, it is going to mean a lot. Now, you always have to qualify that with, like, you know, it's not the end-all, be-all. Going into this season, um, the the goal of the franchise was it wasn't to make the play-in. Um, it wasn't to necessarily uh, avoid the play-in, but um, everyone thought this was going to be another rebuilding year. Um, I certainly thought it was more likely um, they would have another lottery pick instead of fighting for play-in contention. So they've they've blown away all expectations. And I think at this point, um, you know, they're they're so close to this they can sniff it, and 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 they're definitely going to go for it. But I also yep. don't get the sense of, you know sure the players are going to be upset but like organizationally um there's really no reason to to feel crestfallen if they don't make it just because this season has has sort of been gravy i mean everything um they've had shea take the superstar leap they've had giddy um play really well in a second year j-dub looks like an absolute steal and then you've got chet coming in next year so you know there's going to be some disappointment but then you just look at look at next season and the future and it remains pretty bright with that being said, do you think the the players kind of feed off of that, or do they do they feel that sense of the upper management kind of happy if they do, happy if they don't? They it's not that urgent from them, or is it kind of two separate you know sides of the business? Yeah, I kind of view it as two separate things, and it's not like you know Sam Presti or anyone in the front office is is you know managing what happens down the stretch or in these last couple of games. Um, but I always tell people like the front office, they have like an a thousand foot view looking down over this whole thing. They've got the long term in mind. They're far less concerned about, you know, the play in or whoever the Thunder might lose to in the first round of the playoffs um, than they are continuing to, to build this team where its core players kind of have overlapping primes, you know, two, three, four years down the road. Now, the team and, you know, players and coaches. I, I think you're just like in the midst of this like competitive battle. Like, of course you're, you're trying to get in and, and win. So the players don't have to have the same, you know, long-term view that, that uh, management does because they don't even know if their long-term future is in Oklahoma city. They don't, they don't care how many picks the thunder has, you know, two years from now or something like that. They're, they're going for it. You know, one, one final thing for me is, is that you go around the league and you start hearing, from the opposing coaches in press conferences when they start heaping praise upon this young team. And look, it's been pretty clear from Presti, like what he wants, he wants quality individuals. He wants guys that, that have a, that can handle the, the, the ball um, and, and fit a certain size, uh, size range, right? With, with link and athletic ability, but more quality, uh, just human beings in general. And from Steve Kerr through Doc Rivers after a 76ers game, like all of these coaches are talking about and kind of hinting at like, hey, watch out. Like they're almost there. Like it's a really good group of guys and you can kind of really get the sense of how the rest of the league feels about them at their spot right now, even if they end up missing the play-in game. 
yeah, I mean, I I try to cover this team as as objectively as I can, but you can't hardly find anyone in or around the NBA who is is questioning anything they're doing right now or isn't bullish on the future. I mean, they see all the young talent they've collected. Um, the Thunder has been as stable as any franchise from a uh, front office standpoint. You've got Mark Dagnall to you know other coaches with a lot more years of experience are, are gushing about. And, you know, most important thing, Shea's made the superstar leap. So it's uh, it's hard to poke holes in anything right now. Um, it, it's still it's still too early for them to, to make a, you know, credible amount of noise in the playoffs. But um, next year, I think they're going to get a little bit closer. And the year after that, you know, once Chet Holmgren has a year under his belt, um, Shea probably will be even better. I mean, they're uh, – they're probably looking at, you know, contending in the West. Joe, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for your time uh, here in Tulsa today. Uh, best of luck on your travels. And, again, thank you so much uh, for giving us an understanding with the uh, big matchup that's coming up here with the uh, Thunder, man. I can't, I can't thank you enough. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Um, thanks. That's uh, Joe Masato who's joining us here on the Blitz 1170. To go on to what you were saying and what he just said, my brother was joking with me. He's like, hey, man, you might need to go grab some Thunder season tickets right now because this team is on the rise and it's going to be one of those things you're going to be in line for a while. Yeah, I think next year's an, another step. You know, it will take them a little while to find kind of their groove once Chet comes back, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but I think that, you know, a logical – a logical thing would be for them to either be right back in a position like this or maybe even by this point in the season, them kind of – it depends on how the rest of the West plays out too, right? There's a ton of unanswered questions about what the rest of the West looks like next year. In particular, like Dallas, we could talk about their battle with Dallas. Like no one knows what the Mavericks are going to look yeah, like next year at all. no talent. Like that is, that is in many instances an absolute dumpster fire with what Mark has had there. So – uh, you never know, but I think if you're gradual steps, but with the way that the West is now, I mean, if you've got, if if you've basically got, and has been for a while now, four games separating what, third or fourth seed all the way down to 12, that's yeah. the way that it's been for a lot of months here in the West. Like, if it's the same thing, like, who's to say that you couldn't improve? And I, out, of, out of my mouth, I was going to say if you could get to that six-seed spot next year and then continue to build. But who knows with the way that the West looks? I mean, but right now it kind of seems like they're content. Like, again, like he said earlier, yep. we were all thinking tank, tank, tank. And then with Chet Holmgren being the individual that's kind of like – we don't know what we're going to get from him. But yeah. we don't need that lottery pick for next year because he's essentially the lottery pick next year because he didn't play this year. Yeah, you can view it that way. Right? Yeah, you can view it that way. Yeah. But it's good to get a foundation under them, at least for this season. All right, it's 217. We'll take a timeout. Uh, I believe we have another Masters update by the time that we get to the uh, end of our commercial break, and it's brought to you by our good friends – at Chris Nickel Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram. We are at Birdie Bay this afternoon here at 71st Street and Highway 169. We'll take a time out. We'll tell you all about it when we come back on the opposite side here on the Blitz 1170. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.